Thank you for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the emergency medicine podcast recorded at Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing preeclampsia. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the teaching fellows in emergency medicine. Um, And I'm Anna. I'm one of the specialist registrars in obstetrics and gynaecology. So, uh, Anna, with this podcast, we're going to be uh, discussing preeclampsia. Yep. Uh, I suppose it's very important to point out that our patients with preeclampsia are not going to walk in saying, I have preeclampsia. Rarely. It is a diagnosis that we have to make um, piece together. Yep. Um, so, I suppose, how will our patients with preeclampsia present? Mm. So most of the time they don't present with any symptoms at all and we were just saying like actually sometimes they turn up and you ask them why they're there and they have absolutely no idea and most of that most of that is because they are seen very regularly by their midwives and the midwives every time they're seen will do their blood pressure and they'll check their urine and so then if the blood pressure is elevated uh, or they have protein in their urine both of which you know are markers of preeclampsia then they'll refer the patient into the hospital the patient may not have any symptoms of preeclampsia at all um, and as such wonder why on earth she's there um, but it may be that people do present with some of the symptoms that we associate um, those include headache um, so if someone has hypertension then you know that can cause them to have headache and so we always ask women who, if they have hypertension or, pro- or protein in their urine then we ask them if, if they have that symptom um, Obviously, we have to bear in mind that there can be other reasons for headache as well. Mm. Um, All of the things that you might consider outside of pregnancy can also be an issue. And there may be kind of certain things which are more likely to happen in pregnancy as well because of the increased risk of clotting, for example. So things like uh, venous sinus thrombosis. Um, If someone's got neurology and a persistent headache, you you might consider that. Mm. Uh, Migraine is more common in pregnancy. and obviously some kind of weird and wonderful things, I'm sure, but not specific to pregnancy itself. Um, how else do they present? So they may, uh, the other symptoms that we ask women about um, are problems with their vision. So women with preeclampsia can sometimes describe um, kind of flashing lights um, or some d- degree of visual disturbance. Um, they may describe uh, pain in their abdomen. Uh, so we talk, uh, obviously that pain could be anywhere, but mm. specifically in preeclampsia, we ask them if they have any upper abdominal pain. Um, and that could be a, that would be associated with potentially you know, severe forms of preeclampsia where women have um, kind of sw- swelling within the liver capsule. That can give them uh, upper abdominal pain or right upper quadrant pain. Um, a more common symptom is that they have edema. So... Preeclampsia is a condition or where they lose protein in their urine. Uh, women then find that uh, all the fluid then essentially kind of passes out into third space, so they end up with kind of pedal edema, or swelling of the um, behind their back, or so sacral, so any kind of dependent areas. They can also get kind of swelling of their hands and face as well. And that headache in preeclampsia, does it have any particular features? Because, um, you know, like, you know, subarach is that thunderclap <coughs> headache, isn't it? Yeah. Does the headache, is it more in, sort of gradual onset? Yeah, normally. So more of a kind of insidious onset headache, might normally kind of frontal um, above the eyes, but there isn't like an absolute kind of classical yeah. preeclampsia headache, no. 
there's not that vague headache that you might see in a, you know an elderly gentleman with hypertension with a yeah. sensitive so and absolutely it's a similar kind of thing because you're getting it because of hypertension mm. okay um so i suppose those are some symptoms as well are there any other aspects in the history that might make you suspicious of preeclampsia if you're seeing a lady um, so we talk a, a lot in obstetrics about, um, you know, pre-existing risk factors for diseases. So um, for preeclampsia, if it was a lady that had had a previous pregnancy and she had had preeclampsia before, then mm. it increases her risk of developing it again. Um, if it's a lady's first pregnancy, um, then that in itself is an independent risk factor for having preeclampsia. So maybe that she's, you know, just it's the first time that she's been pregnant. Um, so your first pregnancy is at <coughs> risk. And then if you've had it in your first pregnancy, that's then a risk for subsequent pregnancy. That's right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's not fair. There are actually, there's a number of risk factors for preeclampsia. Um, and actually, you don't need to work particularly hard to fall into a category of being a higher risk for preeclampsia. Mm. So we've kind of touched on a couple of those, a previous preeclampsia, um, or if it's your first pregnancy. Um, other things like if the lady's got pre-existing diabetes um, or pre-existing renal disease, that kind of makes sense that mm-hmm. they're at risk of developing hypertension, so they're a higher risk of preeclampsia. Um, and then kind of simple things, so uh, age of the mother, so if the mother is more than 40, if her BMI is more than 35, um, if she has a multiple pregnancy or if she has a family history of preeclampsia, so i.e. her mother or her sisters, um, so like an immediate family member who had preeclampsia in their pregnancies, all of these things increase her risk. Mm. Okay, um, and um, so those are the sort of things we'll cover on our history. When it comes to examining the patient, um, are there any factors in the examination which are important in suspected uh, preeclampsia? Um, so the, I mean, the key ones are obviously knowing what the blood pressure is, um, which is obviously kind of part of your examination. Mm. If someone's got a significant headache, um, you want to do a full neurological examination to rule out other things. Mm. Um, you wouldn't expect someone to have a focal neurology um, mm. if they had preeclampsia. But what you might notice on your neurological examination is when you check their reflexes, they can be quite brisk. Mm. Um, or if you check the woman for clonus, then you might find that she has you know, several beats of clonus. Both of those features would be a marker of quite severe preeclampsia and, in fact, impending eclampsia, which is the seizures associated Mm. with it. Um, And so they're really important to look for Mm. um, because in that case, we'd obviously, you know, we need to think about treating that lady much more quickly. Mm. She needs to be um, in a much more monitored environment, for example, Mm. than someone who doesn't have any of those features. is eclampsia, is this something it's quite rare? I've never seen a lady with eclampsia, uh, for example. So. Um, so because we monitor very closely for preeclampsia, so because, like I said, the midwives will, every time the, the mother goes to her antenatal routine appointment, mm. she has her blood pressure checked, she has her urine checked. So we tend to kind of pick up on the early signs of it quite soon. And so actually these women are brought to our attention um, and it means that in comparison with, you know, times gone by when people weren't monitored so closely, someone actually having an eclamptic seizure is really not very common. It still does happen um, because sometimes, you know, people may 
not be picked up early for one reason or, or another. Or sometimes preeclampsia can just, the, the course and the natural history of the condition is not particularly set. So some people can be absolutely fine um, and develop the preeclampsia very quickly. Mm. And so, and then they come in, you know, incredibly unwell, or they come in having a seizure, even though maybe a week previously they had absolutely no symptoms whatsoever. And so that seizure is a, a generalised tonic-clonic yeah, seizure? absolutely, yeah. And so then the management of which you'd be looking at a sort of for normal seizure management? So it's slightly different in preeclampsia. Um, um, and we use a medication called magnesium sulfate mm -hmm. as a, a preventative measure. So going back to that woman, maybe we examined her, we found that she had very brisk reflexes and mm -hmm. she had uh, lots of beats of clonus. Maybe, and she had significant hypertension as well or significant proteinuria, we would put her on magnesium sulfate as a preventative measure against seizures. And the treatment is the same. So if someone has an eclamptic seizure, we then use magnesium sulfate to prevent further seizures. The seizures themselves are normally quite self-limiting. Mm. So it's very unusual for them to kind of persist longer than a minute or so without self-terminating. So they shouldn't go into status? No. No, and in that case, you may also you you may consider is there another reason mm. underlying it? Perhaps is this actually not related to preeclampsia? Mm. Perhaps the lady is already epileptic, for example, mm. um, or maybe there's something else like structural, um, rather than it being preeclampsia, or eclampsia, I should say, in that case. Okay. Um, so um, I suppose we. Could jumped a little bit ahead into the mm. treatments, but um, um, so while we've examined our patient investigations, you mentioned proteinuria, so the urine dip's crucial Yeah, as absolutely, well. yeah. Um, any other investigations uh, that you'd want to have taken place? Yeah, yeah, so going along the lines of the urine dip, first of all, so the urine dipstick for the protein is pretty sensitive. Um, the woman shouldn't have any protein in her urine, uh, but it can be contaminated sometimes, so mm. either by discharge or, you know, it's not a clean catch sample. Um, so sometimes we want to quantify exactly how much protein is in the urine and we can send it, uh, the, that, that urine sample off and ask for a protein creatinine ratio and that will give us an idea of exactly how much protein is there. Um, the other thing we can do sometimes to quantify it further is ask the lady to do a 24-hour urine collection mm. um, which can be quite helpful if you want to kind of specifically quantify especially if the lady's got a lot of protein and you're getting into kind of nephrotic ranges um, and that, that can be quite helpful in terms of managing her with regards to her kind of thromboembolic risk for example if she's got significant protein then you may be much more inclined to kind of put her on uh, low molecular weight heparin in the pregnancy mm. for example um, but most of the time, actually, we can you can tell someone's got significant protein in the urine dipstick, and doing a protein creatinine ratio is enough to kind of quantify that it's it's high. Mm. Um, other investigations would include blood tests, mm. um, and they're mainly looking for some one of the complications of preeclampsia. So, pre we kind of we jumped ahead actually from what the definition of preeclampsia <laughs> is. Um, and basically it's that the woman has uh, hypertension, which is generally kind of seen as more than 140 over 90, but depends on what the lady's booking blood pressure was. Because mm. actually if she's a lady that always kind of runs around with a blood pressure of 90 over 60, mm. then actually a blood pressure of 130 over 80 is quite high for her. Mm. So we have to think, you know, what, what is it for that patient? So hypertension, uh, protein in the urine. Um, and then also some of the, the symptoms, like the edema, for example, and they may very well have some of those other symptoms we mentioned earlier. Mm. Um, so 
that's the we shouldn't obviously <laughs> jump ahead of what the definition is when we think about um, some of the complications then of preeclampsia there's something called help syndrome mm. which is H-E-L-L-P um, and it's a triad of biochemical features uh, which are indicative essentially of uh, a severe form of preeclampsia so that's why when we do our blood tests that's what we're looking for so a full blood count is important um, to check for anemia mm-hmm and also the platelet count. So in our HELP acronym, the H stands for hemolysis, as in making somebody anemic, and the low platelets is the LP at the end. So the full blood count is important. Um, we always do a, a UNE um, because even if someone hasn't got this HELP syndrome, severe preeclampsia can sometimes cause renal dysfunction. Um, so we, it's really important that we find out what the baseline kind of renal function is for our women. Um, we do a liver function test, uh, and that is then the EL of our help. Uh, so elevated liver in ev- elevated liver enzymes mm-hmm. is what we basically be finding. So it's generally the ALT, so the alanine transaminase goes up. Mm. Um, you wouldn't expect that to happen um, f- in pregnancy otherwise, mm. um, unless there was some underlying cause. Mm. The ALP. Uh, on the liver function test can go up in pregnancy anyway so you should just be aware of that, that actually people if you have you do it an ALP towards the later end of the pregnancy is often elevated anyway so yeah so that's our uh, we're ruling out basically other causes sometimes we, we, if someone's got significant preeclampsia we may very well do a coagulation as well but especially that's important if we're thinking about delivering the lady our anaesthetic colleagues will want to know what that is before they think about doing a spinal or an epidural anaesthetic. So it's all just kind of like planning, essentially, mm. for what might happen. Okay. Um, yeah. So hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelets. Yeah, help. and that HELP syndrome. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, I suppose then if you uh, have a lady who might be in the earlier stages of pregnancy who's you know had some... Uh, relatives or friends who've developed preeclampsia and is concerned uh, might ask you as a doctor is it possible to prevent preeclampsia is it possible are there um, things that we can do uh, so it's possible to reduce the chance um, and what we, we use now uh, is aspirin actually and what a wonder drug aspirin I know, is it can be used for everything can't it and people kind of think of obviously in the low dose, the 75 milligrams, normally used for kind of cardiovascular kind mm. of protection. In the case of we're using it here, um, it's known to reduce the risk of people having preeclampsia in a group where they're at higher risk anyway. Mm. So earlier I mentioned some of those risk factors. So things like having preeclampsia before, being diabetic, having pre-existing hypertension or mm. pre-existing renal disease, each one of those we class as a major risk factor. And so you only need to have one of those, and we would offer them aspirin prophylaxis. Mm-hmm. That is, they have 75 milligrams once a day, starting at 12 weeks, and they would take it through then until the end of the pregnancy or around 36 weeks, you know, to basically at the point where they're almost term, mm-hmm. to try and reduce the risk. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other risk factors we class as minor risk factors, so things like if it's their first pregnancy, if they have a multiple pregnancy, family history, if they're overweight uh, or if they are older than 40, Mm -hmm. if they have two or more of those then they qualify 
and then they're offered aspirin as well for the same reason to try and reduce the risk but it doesn't stop it happening no um it just reduces the chances and so they still need monitoring in mm. the same way um as you would any woman talked about the magnesium sulfate again so that's the that's the cornerstone of treatment then for our lady with preeclampsia um so magnesium is the treatment to prevent eclampsia mm-hmm. uh, so either or to prevent or to treat eclampsia but the absolute treatment definitively is to deliver the baby because it's a condition related to purely to pregnancy mm. um and actually when the percent when the placenta is delivered the preeclampsia generally will then get a bit better over time. Sometimes it gets a bit worse first, and then it gets a bit better. Okay. But the definitive treatment is the delivery. Um, and then sometimes, and then sometimes, you know, sometimes that can be a very easy decision to make because actually, if the lady is presenting in, you know, the very later stages of her pregnancy, um, you know, the baby is fully developed. Making that decision to either induce labour or do a cesarean section is quite an easy one. The difficulty comes is when the lady presents at very early st- stage. Preeclampsia is a condition that only really affects women from 20 weeks onwards. It doesn't affect women earlier than that. If you have somebody around those limits of viability, around 24 weeks, for example, Mm. that has got severe preeclampsia, we always have to look after the mother's health first. Mm. That's really difficult knowing then that if you're going to develop, you you have to deliver the baby for the health of the mother. But that may lead to obviously significant complications in that baby. So it's always then a balancing act between how far can we get this pregnancy safely mm. um, to try and get that baby developed a bit more, balanced with actually how is the mother doing. And if the mother is significantly unwell, if she has HELP syndrome, for example, if she has renal failure, mm. if she has significant hypertension that we're not able to control with medication, or if she's had an eclamptic seizure we need to deliver her to for her health mm. and that would be the case then regardless of how many weeks pregnant she was mm. okay and um so you you said the, the definitive treatment get rid of that placenta uh, mm. and deliver the baby um so is there still a risk after postpartum is there still a risk of preeclampsia uh, what sort of time frame would you be thinking about so yeah. say you've got a lady who's you know a few weeks postpartum come in with high blood pressure, is preeclampsia mm. still something that the mm. doctor in the emergency department should worry about? Absolutely, so it's possible for preeclampsia to only present postpartum, um, but it's more unusual for it to solely present postpartum. Okay. So <coughs> it, if somebody has preeclampsia in the pregnancy, it sometimes does get worse um, immediately postpartum. and normally for the first 24 hours are that kind of period where they may get more significantly hypertensive they're a higher risk of having an eclamptic seizure within that first 24 hours um, so it's possible for it to present later mm. but that is more unusual but certainly up until six weeks postpartum if someone is presenting with all of these symptoms hypertension mm. proteinuria it should absolutely be up there on you know possible uh, mm. cause mm. Um, in fact talking thinking about kind of where the risks are the only eclamptic seizures that actually I've ever seen I've been postpartum mm. um, which is kind of easier to manage in the sense that you're not having to also deal with the fact that a woman is you know still currently pregnant but just goes to show that they are eclamptic seizures in themselves are most common actually in the postpartum phase rather than in the pregnancy 
That was the Take Orally Preeclampsia podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we'll put up links to any guidelines mentioned and you can contact us to suggest topics you'd like to see covered. For more information on education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.